This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Judge Jeanine Pirro. She's the outspoken host. Judge Jeanine Pirro is dominating the headlines right now. This is the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Sunday Morning Show. Now, here's Judge Jeanine Pirro. Welcome, everyone, to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. As always, we are armed and ready to serve justice with all my great listeners here on the Red Apple Audio Network. Uh, you know, you have to have your uh, head under a rock if, if you don't realize or don't know what's going on in the world. It was uh, quite a week. Uh, President Biden went to Israel and then uh, President Biden made an Oval Office address to the American people. Uh, we are now in a situation where uh, Israel is at war. And the question is, how involved will the United States be, given that we are already funding a great deal of money, well over $114 billion to Ukraine, and uh, we are still without a speaker in the House of Representatives. So uh, all is going well in Washington, uh, and that is uh, tongue-in-cheek, folks. I'm, I'm furious about that. Uh, where the Republicans are looking like fools, you blow up a ship, but you don't have any idea what you're going to do with the people on the ship and you don't have another ship coming in to, uh, to uh, protect them and to reel them back in. I don't quite understand what's going on in the House, but that's the least of the concerns given the world events that are going on and where we find ourselves today uh, on October 22nd of 2023. I've got some great guests for you this morning. We've got Colonel Hunt, Colonel David Hunt. You've heard him before, uh, a man of many years uh, on the battlefield, led uh, tens of thousands of men and women uh, on the battlefield. He is uh, an incredible individual uh, who knows of what he speaks. We will also speak with Stephen Miller, uh, who will give us some insight into how we got to where we are with anti-Semitism. And I got to tell you, folks, I feel like it's pre-World War II in the United States. The only thing we're missing is Kristallnacht. Uh, the hatred, the anti-Semitism that we're seeing on college campuses and we're seeing across the country and across the world, uh, when, as uh, I think it was Mark Twain who said, you know, a lie gets uh, halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on. And that's what happened when Israel, the victim of a horrific massacre, uh, children going to sleep in their own beds uh, in Israel to become victims of unspeakable torture and abuse. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, the Israelis are not the victims, the uh, Palestinians are. And that is based on a lie, which I will make very clear to you that the world was willing to buy, that the left-wing media was willing to buy, but we're not going to buy it here. So it's going to be a great show today, a lot of information for all of you, uh, and uh, uh, let's just make sure that uh, we are focused and we're knowledgeable, that we know what the facts are, because we're in a very serious time. And never forget, that's a commitment we made on 9-11. 
Honor it by donating $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at t2t.org. T, t dot org. That's T, of course, the number two, T dot org. And up next on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will be speaking with that military expert I just mentioned, Colonel David Hunt, coming up right here on the Red Apple Audio Network. What can we expect to see? Will Americans be involved in looking for hostages and bringing those hostages home? Stay with us. Judge Jeanine. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is the Janine Pirro Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Pirro. Welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. Joining us now is a military veteran and expert uh, after 29 years in the armed forces, uh, uh, as well as a uh, an author and a uh, Fox News contributor. Uh, he is uh, someone that I always go to uh, for information on what's going on in the battlefield, uh, Colonel David Hunt. Uh, good morning, Colonel Hunt. Crazy week. We had the president go to Israel, spend eight hours there, be rebuffed by the Arabs, come back, give an Oval Office address, uh, request uh, billions of dollars, uh, most of which is for Ukraine. Uh, and yet it appears that uh, things are even heating up even more in the northern part of Israel uh, with Lebanon and Hezbollah. Uh, what are what do we what do you expect to see on the battlefield uh, in the upcoming days? Well, what's happened and good Sunday morning to you, Judge? Uh, there's been a, I think the nature the nature of the of this war with Israel and Hamas has changed since we last talked, <clears throat> and it's become what we all d- dreaded, which is a now a regional conflict. Uh, Hezbollah in the north of Lebanon is all week attacked um, Israel, and Israel has returned you know, the, the fight, the rockets. So they're exchanging rockets, the anti-tank weapons are being shot. Um, Hamas, people, uh, the West, West Bank has been closed. Nobody can go in, nobody can go out. Uh, but they've started to, uh, to cause trouble. The Palestinian Liberation Jihad is one terrorist group that comes out of the West Bank, and that that was the group that fired the rocket that that uh, fell out of the sky and hit the garage of a hospital this past week, <clears throat> which caused all sorts of consternation because many in the world press, like CBS, went with Hamas's explanation that Israel had blown up this hospital, and it turned out not to be true. It's been verified by the U.S. intelligence, by Israeli intelligence, and now organizations like CNN have actually said it didn't happen. 
Well, let me um, ask you this, Colonel. Let me interrupt yeah. you for a second. You're saying that it was the Palestine, uh, the Palestine Liberation Jihad. Well, we, we all thought it was Hamas. Yeah, it, the, is no, that the same? The Pacific, the, the Pacific specific organization that shot that rocket was is the Palestinian Liberation Jihad, who works with and is fighting against uh, Israel right now. Okay, but it's they didn't separate. shoot it from the West Bank. They shot it from uh, Palestine. Correct, but they're based in the West Bank. Got it. I understand. Go ahead. Um, so we have that. We have um, two days this week, uh, Thursday and Friday, U.S. soldiers were wounded in Syria from drone uh, bombs, uh, which hasn't happened. That has that, It's a base in Syria on the Iraq border that's being used by special operations um, to attack ISIS. And that had been attacked twice, which brings the U.S. Direct, directly in this war. So you have a much more complicated scenario than we did last Sunday. Complications in a war are dangerous, and they can expand even further. Okay, so, you- so now it's not, it's not just Israel-Hamas. Now it's Israel-Hezbollah in the north. Hamas uh, in the in the West, not the West Bank, but uh, uh, to the West in Palestine. And uh, we've got some U.S. soldiers wounded. What did I hear this week, Colonel Hunt, that uh, some uh, Houthis in, in, in Yemen took down some soldiers? Yeah, they shot at a base, an air base in Iraq um, and wounded, uh, killed a civilian, a U.S. civilian. So we've had 11 uh, U.S. citizens, 10 soldiers and one U.S. citizen, 10 soldiers wounded, minor wounds. One had to go to the hospital for a longer period of time and a U.S. citizen. Um, and that, 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 changes. that changes. That changes everything. So well, that we, changes everything. So, you know, uh, uh, Biden this week, when he uh, when he gave his Oval Office address, uh, that was really just a request for money. Uh, the, the, the vast majority of it proposed going to Ukraine. Uh, and then uh, what, what was it? A hundred billion, 60 billion goes to Ukraine. Forty billion is for our southern border, Israel. And I think there was a third yep. in there. Um, you know, it seems that it's not just a war now between Israel and Hamas. It's regional. And when does Iran come in? Does Iran stand at the sidelines and just watch this as, you know, the United States tries to figure out what it's doing? Iran, as you know, is in using proxies. Mm -hmm. Um, As we are fighting Russia with a proxy called Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they've got two proxy wars going on, one in the Middle East, which is expanded since we talked, and the proxy war that's going on in Ukraine. You've got uh, uh, trench warfare in Western Europe, which has not been seen since World War One. You have 200,000 plus soldiers, both on the Ukrainian side and the Russian side, that have been killed in this last 600 days. We've got the U.S. sending the best tanks in the world, the M1A1 and F-16s. And the U.S. is the main supporter of both these organizations. So when, when Israel fi- finally crosses into Gaza, that will be a, a bloodbath on 
that'll be so such a very, very difficult fight and so violent because everything is so close, everything is so narrow, and because of over 1,200 now airstrikes by the Israeli Air Force since October 7th, half of, the, of Gaza City is rubble. So you, you're going to have combat soldiers trying to fight their way you know, with bulldozers and tanks to clear a path in the middle of combat. Very, very, very difficult. While Israel still has to worry and fight Hezbollah in the north and worry about the West Bank. And now the U.S. is, sooner or later, that's going to be a story that U.S. soldiers are now getting wounded because of this war. Um, well, so you know what? In one week it's gotten ugly. Uh, it is ugly, but but it's not just U.S. soldiers are getting wounded, you know, that, that should wake up America. We've got American hostages. We've got 30 Americans dead from October 7th from that massacre. And I'm not sure how many hostages we have in Gaza. And the the administration is saying that we won't have anyone on the ground. Uh, but don't Americans usually go in to capture and to, you know, free Americans who are held hostage? Isn't that what what happened in Iran in 79? That was more diplomatic. That was more political. Um, but do you see American military involved other than via proxy? In other words, other than arming Israel, other than giving them money and military equipment, uh, we give, we share intelligence with them. At what point do we cross the line into having soldiers involved? We currently have special operating forces in Israel right now, advising Israel and helping plan how to rescue 200 plus hostages of which as you said what 20 at least are americans but the reason i was mentioning though and so so you have a direct involvement if we go in i'm sure that in this case would be delta will be involved directly in helping try to rescue because of the sheer number of hostages as great and the israelis have a fabulous counterterrorism force but they have limited numbers. We have more that can help and have and work and train with them. Mm-hmm. My point of ma- my point of mentioning that the change is that that now we've got American soldiers and civilians being killed on top of the hostage thing, the hostage issue that that was created October seventh. The, this the war has changed. The nature of this has changed since last week. Uh, is my point, and as it's going to get worse when Israel finally uh, makes its move into Gaza City. When do you think Israel would do that? I mean, they've already started or not? Yeah, there's a, okay, when you when you look at the pictures, at the B-roll that's being, you see on television and all the networks, for the first time you start to see these white flags sitting on top of tanks and uh, armored personnel carriers. That was a identification when they, when they actually go in. Um, so I thought... This was going to happen last night, um, and it didn't. So there's conflicting reports that – oh, I'm sorry. Number, number, two, number two, when you see the generals and the prime minister visit the front, as we did yesterday. Yes, uh, on the, Thursday. Signal, right. Yeah, it, right, uh, as you did Thursday. You, um, that's, a, that's a clear signal. But as of now, anyways, I, I wouldn't have expected in 72 hours. Okay. All right. So in in 72 hours, um, you've got 
Israel, the Iron Dome has been fortified, or or we've we, what are they interceptors that that we provide them with? Um, yes, they have yes. all the tanks they need. They do do they? Does the Israeli military have what it needs to be able to defeat uh, Hamas, uh, separate and apart from the urban warfare that that you've been talking about that is so dangerous, so perilous? Uh, once they go into Gaza, yes, they have three hundred thousand soldiers. Um, that they've some reservists that are already gunned up, ready to go. All their all their artillery that's been firing is there. They're not moving anywhere if they don't have to, because it's there's one thing those artillery you see uh, can fire almost over forty miles, so mm-hmm. they're staying. But the tanks and infantry, um, special operating forces. Uh, medical personnel, all that um, will, ha- yeah, they've been sitting, they've been sitting now for almost two, two weeks. And that's a long time to, to sit in the assembly area waiting, waiting to go a very, very short distance. Um, and also we've moved half of uh, hum- Gaza down South and still, and trying to resupply uh, with humanitarian aid in from Egypt while we're fighting up in the north very very complicated judge let um, me ask you let me yeah. ask you this um when when biden went over to israel and he said to israel uh you know i'm giving a uh, hundred million in humanitarian aid to gaza and i want you to make sure that the uh that the uh, uh, the hamas doesn't get that money or get those get that aid i mean he was putting the burden on israel to make sure that the palestinians got the humanitarian aid in a land that that the hamas is controlling did i misinterpret what he said no no we all we all have to understand hamas runs gaza right so that's that's the issue wherever whatever dollar you want to put into gaza Hamas is going to control it. The United, the United Nations has people in there, but the United Nations is going to be given the money by the U.S. to then give to the people in need in Gaza. The U.S. is giving aid to the governing body in Gaza, which is Hamas. They, have, they were voted in seven years ago, and they run every aspect of, of life, and that $150 million is going directly to the hands of them, and that's going... Very, that is going right to fighters and to buy more weapons, and whatever left over might get its way that people actually need it. Well, it, so it, it's it, a real, it's a, not a smart gesture it's not, unless you can. Unless if, if you're a judge, if you're in Gaza and I'm the U.S., unless I'm handing you the money, then I've got to guard you so nobody steals it. Right. You can't guarantee that kind of. You can't guarantee that it gets to who needs it. Right. Right. It just it just struck me the wrong way. And um, finally, uh, can you tell us, I mean, do you see a point where Americans will have boots on the ground in Israel? I mean, how bad does it get? Because it's gone from uh, Hamas against Israel to what appears to be a multi-front war to something in the region. Um, you know, if the West Bank, you know, gets more riled up than it already is. Um it is how does America have, you know, the appetite for another war? Well, it won't be necessary. We have we have battle group two battle groups in the Mediterranean. Um, we're we're helping Israel up. We're giving Israel everything they need 
right up to soldiers on the ground, which is not happening. That just, it's too small an area, you know, as we've already described in Gaza. Um, there'll be some special operating forces. There'll be some intelligence people running around in there. But not, you're not going to see the uh, 10th Mountain Division or the 82nd Airborne Division or any U.S. divisions or tanks in, in Gaza on the ground. No. Absolutely okay, not. so let let me ask you about the hostages now. They have been held hostage since October 7th, and today is the 22nd. So um, we've got about, what, two weeks, and no one even knows if these hostages are alive. In situations like this, does the, does the International Red Cross get involved? Does the UN get involved to at least confirm that the hostages are alive? Other than the one video we saw of a young girl who said she had surgery, on her arm. We would love that because we'd use the intelligence. Hamas will never agree to that because it gives up intelligence on locations. We, we do not have the capability, uh, it, it does not exist yet, to be able to see down into one of these tunnels. We don't, we don't have it. It's not been developed. Nobody wants to spend the money, but it's, a, it's a, definitely a weapon that terrorists and Hamas held, Janine. They used it in North Vietnam. They built cities on the ground. Yeah, can you explain, Colonel, to to my listeners, because I'm having a hard time uh, understanding this, but can you explain to the listeners that when we talk about tunnels, it's not about a guy squeezing through a pipe. Uh, Give them an example, a visual of what's in these tunnels. Think of a mall you go to anywhere, a hospital or a parking garage. Uh, They they have built um, neighborhoods underground. Uh, they have they you can you can drive vehicles through these. These are air these have air conditioning. In there. Air, they have lights. They have running. They have water. Um, these are built deep underground, and they go for miles, and then they open up into a, a work area. And you and some of them are large enough and and support and are built strong enough to support vehicles, um, wheel vehicles driving in them. And it, it's very, very, they're very dangerous. They're, they pop up right inside Israel. They're, um, they were, again, we used, we ran into them in, uh, in Vietnam and those are dug by hand. So it, it's a, it's a serious problem, which is where we believe, uh, Israel believes and the U.S. that the 200 hostages plus are in these tunnels, many of which we do not know where they are. Uh, I, I, my feeling in this one is we're not waiting any longer. That Israel's not going to wait any longer because they can't find them all. Right. Uh, right. It's just, it's so frustrating. Uh, but, uh, Hamas planned a, a very brutal and very, um, exceptionally well-planned and executed attack on Israel. And the use of tunnels was part of it. That is amazing, Colonel Hunt. That is absolutely uh, incredible that uh, the uh, tunnels are as sophisticated and as self-contained as you describe. I mean, I, I just I was I was flabbergasted by that. But it, in terms of the 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 Hamas's intent is to destroy Israel. It's to kill the Israelis, to kill all the Jews. Uh, is this 
you know, the the most serious war that they've been involved in in terms of comparing 67, 73? I mean, is this, you know, do or die? Yes, this is this is more consequential than any of them. Um, the 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 loss of life is staggering on October seventh. Yeah. Right, I mean, and they captured not the kids. It's brutal. The women and children, innocents, of course, but they overran two, two at least two, I believe three, Israeli army bases and kidnapped generals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, so this was this they they went through forty separate holes and fences that they created. They, they ran, they, and it was a very, very successful operation, and it still is, if you're Hamas, uh, you almost got the world to believe that Israel uh, killed 500 people with bombs on a hospital, which turned out it wasn't true. Right. Um, and now, so all the, and now people, the, the world wants, wants some kind of uh, calmness and uh, less violent Israel to go into Gaza, which is not going to happen. Right. So Hamas, from their standpoint, has done a a great job, but from a terrorist point point of view, against Israel. Israel now is going to have their way um, when they go in there, and they have to. They they their intent is to uh, make Hamas not exist, and not politically, not militarily. And well, so that's and- a very violent. That, that's a that's a very big order, uh, and they'll stay there until they get that done. You know, uh, Colonel, you've seen a lot of war in your life. I mean, you know, war is, you know, almost in your DNA in terms of how you've lived your life. Were you surprised when it seemed the whole world objected to uh, the the uh, Israelis' uh, attempt to defend themselves and uh, the lie that the Israelis had tried to bomb a hospital when there are no body bags, there's no hospital bombed. I mean, it was within a second they said, you know, that the, the Israelis are killing civilians. Uh, did that stun you? In my lifetime, um, and I was born the year before Israel was, Founded, um, it's been anti-Semitic. The Western Western world has a terrible view of a great people, um, and it has historically for thousands of years. And the Holocaust was the worst of it, of course. Um, but right, so right, so now, as would happen with the hospital this, this past week, the U.S. press for six hours was saying that Israel had bombed this without checking, without even bothering to look at their own film. So it seeps into every aspect of life in, in the Western Hemisphere, and it's anti-Semitic, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and so, the, so Israel fights on the ground against some, some of the worst people in, in existence, and they have to fight world opinion continuously, which is why, from a non-political point of view, Judge, where I thought with the U.S. SecDef and the U.S. Secretary of State and the president of the United States all went over there so quickly. That helps Israel with because of this world opinion mm-hmm. that Israel is always wrong, and the fact and the fact that we 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 keep saying we are staying with Israel for, for all time is critical because the rest of the world does not. So the U.S. is standing up for not, not just our friends, but what, one of the great democracies on the planet, which is the state of Israel. But, but it's also facing this massive hatred and distrust 
that is that that the Israels have had to live with since their existence. You know, it is stunning, uh, Colonel, that there is so much anti-Semitism. It's almost as though we're we're in a pre-World War II moment. Uh, where the bias is so blatant on university campuses and, you know, businesses and around the world. I mean, the world watched as babies were massacred, young girls were burnt alive, you know, uh, the horrors that were inflicted on October 7th by Hamas against the uh, innocent Israelis, Uh, you know, just living their life, many of them on a kibbutz, Um, and, and, and yet they were so quick to condemn a lie, uh, what wasn't true, I should say. And, uh, you know, because of the hatred for Jews, it is stunning to me. I just never, I never understood it. And and you're right, to the, even though, and I'm going to talk about this in the next segment, I believe that the Democrats have always appeased Iran and given Iran the ability to think that it can do whatever it wants. Uh, you know, what, what, uh, what Biden did was very important standing by Israel. Uh, but still, when you look at the money, the breakdown of the money, 100 billion, we're going to send 60 to Ukraine and we're going to split the 40 to Israel, the southern border. And I forget what the third one is. Um, you know, it's okay. we'll see. Yeah, OK. But on that point, Judge, um, the Ukraine war is a bigger war. It's more expensive because because of the first of all, the size of it. It's, it's it's a very very it's, it's just bigger. Israel is more more condensed. A a, a obviously an uh, important, uh, but it's a in smaller scale, on a smaller theater. You need more money in Ukraine by by, by definition than you need for aid money in Israel, and Israel is 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 better equipped than the Ukrainian military, mostly because of us. Um, what we've given what we've done to the Ukraine war. Is to the Ukrainians, we've been helping them for 15, 16 years, but we've been only last three years helping them as some of the rest of NATO has. So it's that's why there's such a, there's a difference in aid. Interesting. Okay. All right. It's always uh, it's always great to talk to you, Colonel David Hunt. I want to thank you so much for being with us, and uh, you know it'll be an interesting week coming up. You take care. You thank you. Judge. All right. And uh, coming up next on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will be speaking with former White House senior advisor and director of speech writing for President Trump, Stephen Miller, coming up right here on the Red Apple Network. And, of course, never forget, join the Tunnel to Towers Foundation on its mission to do good in honor of America's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. This is the Janine Pirro Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Pirro. Joining me now is a seasoned political advisor. Please join me in welcoming Stephen Miller to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. Uh, I'm sure you've seen Stephen on Fox News, and before then he was a political advisor who served as senior advisor for policy and White House director of speech writing for President Trump. Uh, he is a man who knows of what he speaks, and uh, when you hear him, if you've never heard him before, you will agree with me. Stephen Miller, thank you so much 
much for being with us this morning. Uh, I think this is a very important topic, and I wanted someone uh, as as knowledgeable as you, Stephen, to talk about uh, what I'm seeing and what is frightening me. And it's not just the war that Israel is involved in right now as a result of the October 7th massacre. Uh, but it is this anti-Semitism that we are experiencing. It almost makes me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in a pre-World War II moment. The only thing that's missing is Kristallnacht, that uh, the, the, the fact that the world would rise up not when innocent babies were murdered uh, or when women were burned alive uh, or, you know, 1,300 Israelis are killed or Americans along with that and hostages, but over a lie that Israel bombed a hospital, which, you know, it, it was clearly a lie. There was no bombed hospital, no 500 body bags. It was a misfire from Hamas, but within minutes, the world was ready to stand up against Israel. Talk to me. Yes, well, there is, as you say, a deeply alarming rise in global anti-Semitism, both with the American left here at home and in countries around the world. And what's really shocking, as we've seen, are these calls both from Democrat members of Congress as well as foreign countries for Israel to show restraint and to, and from our own president to show restraint and to engage in um, in a light touch with Gaza when they have just been a victim of the most heinous and barbaric terrorist attack humanly imaginable. And you know you can't dis- you can't conceive of a situation where another country uh, would be attacked by a terrorist uh, refugee camp in the same way, and people would be saying, oh, well, we better have a ceasefire. There is so much Israeli blood that is spilled on the streets. There are so many mothers and fathers whose children have been murdered and ripped away from them. There is so much indescribable human tragedy and suffering. And Israel has put up with this for years now. In other words, year after year after year, Families in Israel have to live with the knowledge and reality that there is a terrorist camp operating on its border. Any other country, any other country would have removed that terrorist camp a long time ago. The reason why they have it is specifically because Israel is a tiny speck in the vast Middle East and the vast world has to be so sensitive to international opinion. And for that reason, because they they depend upon commerce with other countries and imports from other countries and military relationships and military deals with other countries, they have to be extremely sensitive to global opinion. And that is the reason why, after all these years, Hamas still operates with relative impunity right there on the Gaza Strip. Well, okay, so, you know, it's very interesting that you're right. It is Israel is a speck in the Middle East. And and in order to survive, they have to be, I guess, to to be crass about it, they have to be somewhat political. Uh, But the rise in anti-Semitism in this country, 
uh, aside from I, you know, I could almost fathom it in in the Arab world. But let's be straight about this, Stephen. And and I'm sure my listeners know this. There's not one Arab country that was willing to take the Palestinians. None of them want them. Uh, El Sisi even said, "I don't want them." King Abdullah of Jordan said, "I'm drawing a red line. I don't want them." Nobody wants them, but Israel has to deal with them every day. And the president of the United States goes to Israel and says, I'm giving $100 million in humanitarian aid. Make sure, Israel, you make sure that it gets to the Palestinians and Hamas doesn't abscond with it, as if Israel then has to monitor to make sure that the enemy doesn't take money away uh, from the intended uh, uh, recipients. The whole thing is bizarre. Well, there's two very important facts you can derive from the refusal of neighboring Arab states to take Palestinian Arab Muslims. So in other words, there are Arab Muslim states refusing to take other Arab Muslims. There's two things you can learn from that. One is, is their own fears about the radicalization of this population. In other words, their own concerns from a security standpoint about radical elements that are pervasive within the Palestinian population. The second thing is, as has been observed by many other people, that this has never been about, ever about the well-being of Palestinians living in Gaza. This has always been about a cudgel to use against Israel, right? This, this problem of, of stateless Arab Muslims living on the border of Israel could be solved instantaneously, again, if Arab Muslim states took them in. But they don't want them in for the first reason I said, and secondly, because there's a desire in the Middle East, because it takes pressure off of regimes to be able to have Israel be the villain. That's what they want. They want to be able to say to their own populations that you need to be mad at Israel, and the Islamic radicals need to be mad at Israel, and not focus on whatever is happening in our own country. So that's a major element of why there is a refusal to actually do anything constructively to solve the problem. And so, again, Israel is caught in this paradigm where they have not been able to do what they need to do to solve the problem because they would, they would lose international support. Um, but they also can't count on the Arab states to do anything either. So it really is a, it is a terrible, just an, a never-ending nightmare for Israel. Uh, I've heard a lot of theorizing. I've heard what, uh, what Hamas has said publicly uh, about engaging in this feint of pretending that they were interested in, in governing and domestic affairs. Because remember, Hamas was elected uh, back in around 2007. Uh, Seven, right. But the, uh, and in reality, they were just using all the time to prepare for a terrorist attack. I don't really know what to make of the intelligence labs, both in Israel and the United States. Uh, obviously, that's the kind of thing where, uh, if I was in the administration, uh, I can assure you that... Um, I would be asking questions about and we would be getting answers to. From here on the outside, it's very hard to draw any conclusions except to say that you don't want to underestimate your enemy. I think that's sort of the biggest point I would say in general here is that uh, do not underestimate evil. Do not underestimate the craftiness of your enemy. Um, When you are dealing with somebody who spends every waking minute thinking about how to destroy or eradicate you, they are capable of, of... of pulling off potentially devastating surprise attacks, you know, whereas the people in Israel are spending their time thinking about their jobs and their families and uh, and their futures. You have this jihadist 
death squad known as Hamas that spends every minute of their lives thinking about how to martyr themselves to eradicate the Jewish state. And so you really just must never, it's a general rule in life, you must never underestimate your enemy. Well, you can never underestimate them. And, and, you know, they always, when it comes to war, they always have a vote in it, you know, so you can decide that you want to do X, Y, or Z, and they may have other plans. And I think that the biggest problem going forward uh, is, uh, you know, the the uh, the urban warfare in Gaza, which, um, you know, will be soon. I guess, you know, when I saw... Uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu talking to the uh, the soldiers on the front. You know, it's clear, or so it appears, that, you know, they're gunned up and ready, and uh, it should happen at any time. But uh, do you see any, uh, the chance of Americans uh, being involved in, in greater uh, participation other than military and money? Well, there's no reason whatsoever for the United States to have any role at all in combat operations. Now, rescue operations of American citizens is a yes. wholly different situation. Yep. And obviously, um, the United States always has a national security interest um, in conducting rescue operations as well as capturing kill missions uh, for individuals who have murdered American citizens. You know, the way that President Trump took out Baghdadi, took out Soleimani, took out many other terrorist leaders. But mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of war, in terms of Israel engaging in direct combat operations against Hamas, there's no reason whatsoever for the United States to have any involvement um, other than whatever our existing security and financial relationship is with Israel um, that has been longstanding. Okay. Uh, but the, the, in fact, it would be incredibly counterproductive, uh, vastly, enormously counterproductive, for the United States to become a co-belligerent in this conflict. It is important, notwithstanding everything else that I said, it is important for the region, for the United States, to be able to act in the position, where and when appropriate, of being able to work on peace settlements and peace deals as President Trump did with the Abraham Accords. Well, that's okay. Let's let's segue right there, Stephen Miller. I mean, you were very much involved in the Abraham Accords. Tell us... Tell us what was forged and what is at stake now? Well, all credit for the Abraham Accords, of course, goes to President Trump. And then mm-hmm. Jared Kushner, who I know you know well, mm-hmm. uh, did an incredible, uh, incredible job with the Abraham Accords. But the, the, the core of it is the normalization of relationships between Israel and its Arab neighbors to establish peace and stability in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So the, the the cornerstone of peace in the Middle East for years had just been the peace agreement between Israel and Egypt, and then everything had been frozen, and there had been no new peace deal since. And when President Trump was able to find common grounds with these Arab states that historically, um, as I mentioned earlier, had actually stoked tensions in the region, had actually created the conditions for unrest, when he's able to get these countries to find common ground with Israel, which is a just a, an extraordinary achievement mm-hmm. to normalize relationships, to have peaceful relationships with Israel, therefore to take all the tension and the violence out of the region. And then while doing so, an important part of this was then building a coalition that was also unified by their opposition to Iranian hegemony. And that was the other big insight that President Trump had, which is that 
the the common foe of nations in the Middle East is Iran. It always gets back to Iran funding these militias, funding these terrorist groups, funding these proxy wars, funding all of these horrible evils and murder all across the region. And so President Trump understood that while these different countries had many disagreements between them, they were unified by their concerns about Iran and also Iran's pursuit of nuclear weapons, which would change the whole balance of power in the Middle East. So at the same time as President Trump was pursuing these peace deals with Israel, he was financially choking off Iran. And the result of that, as we saw, was the Middle East was the calmest, most stable, most peaceful that it had ever been in memory. Okay, so Biden comes in and he re-ups the funding, allows Iran to sell on the oil market, making what, 50 billion, 100 billion in the last couple of years? Yeah, so he, he stopped enforcing the oil sanctions on Iran, which President Trump put into place so that Iran could sell oil. Uh, on the open market. And that, of course, vastly enriched Iran's coffers. And then he also formally began lifting the other economic sanctions that President Trump put into place and pursuing a um, another Iran nuclear deal, which, of course, signals, because, you know, you understand how the economy works. What you signal matters enormously. So if you signal to the world that you're going to be having regular economic relationship with Iran, that you're pursuing an agreement with Iran, Iran becomes a more attractive market. Iran becomes a safer economic bet. Iran becomes someone that you'd be willing to do business with thinking where they might be in five or ten years. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that they lifted sanctions, it's that they signaled to the whole world that we're trying to pursue to rebuild an economic partnership and a, and a relationship that's profitable with Iran. Once you do that, uh, it completely changes Iran's fortunes. Iran's on the rise, Iran's on the move, and the other countries in the Middle East are back to being uh, squab- uh, quibbling with each other uh, again. Mm-hmm. Right. Because now, instead of having this unifying U.S. led effort to counter Iranian hegemony, um, now Iran is uh, more powerful than it's been in years and other countries return to their old ways. So it's just it's a complete 180 on the Trump foreign policy. Let me ask you something. Isolating Iran, unifying the Arab states to disunifying the Arab states and empowering Iran. Okay, why did Biden do that, Stephen Miller? Great question, because Obama had the same absolute obsession with Iran, just complete, total Iran, 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 loved Iran, couldn't do enough with Iran. John Kerry, the same thing. Right. Um, I think it gets back to uh, in our in our schools, our universities, uh, the foreign policy elites like we're seeing in our college campuses now. There's this strain of thought that is uh, is very much pro-Iran and anti-Israel. And that's the academic vogue. And so, of course, Biden wouldn't think of it in those terms or say it that way, nor nor would uh, other people working on the strategy. I think that the intellectual foundation of all of it is this theory out of our universities that Iran is the good guy and Israel is the bad guy. And that the way to make the region balanced is to reduce the power of Israel and to increase the power of Iran. And I think that has to be what's driving. There's no other explanation. Well, I got to tell you, Stephen Miller, I am always impressed with you. Uh, you are uh, an incredible uh, source of information. Uh, I have tremendous respect for you, Stephen, personally, and everybody who's listening. Stephen is a friend. Uh, he is absolutely brilliant. I worry. I worry for uh, Americans. I worry for the Jews. 
Uh, Ellie Wiesel was someone that I knew, and uh, as a DA, uh, many years ago, I fought anti-Semitism, you know, on a local level and made it clear that it wasn't going to survive here. And that's when I started to understand the enormity of this problem. Uh, Stephen Miller, thank you for joining us. God thank bless. you for the kind words. The feeling yeah. is mutual. God bless you and look forward to talking soon. Thank you, Stephen Miller. All right, everyone, uh, there you have it. Uh, Stephen Miller, someone who knows of what he speaks. And never forget that commitment we made on 9-11. Honor it by donating $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. And up next here on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will gavel out with my closing argument. It's all coming up here on the Red Apple Audio Network. This is the Janine Pirro Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Pirro. And now it's time for me to gavel out with my closing argument. You know, folks, we're living in uh, treacherous times. Uh, we've got a uh, an ally uh, in the Middle East, Israel, that has been attacked in uh, a way that is subhuman. The, the taking of innocent civilians from their own homes and their own beds and the murder and torture of them, uh, many Americans involved as well as American hostages being held by Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, uh, should make everyone fearful of the fact that we have an open border in this country. You know, as well as I do, that you've heard the reports that, you know, I think there's more than 150 uh, known terrorists, suspected terrorists, uh, have tried to enter our border. There are a million and a half gotaways. Joe Biden has made it very easy for foreign terrorists to enter our country. We've got to restore the border. We've got to do what Stephen Miller said. We've got to restore strength back to the United States. When Donald Trump was president, we didn't have any of these problems. Donald Trump destroyed the caliphate. Remember, Obama said it was a JV team. It's time for us to stop worrying about the terrorists, to stop funding Iran, to stop allowing Iran to sell oil on the open market, making billions, 50 billion, 100 billion dollars. And that money is used to fund Hamas and Hezbollah and other terrorist organizations around the world. We are in a war. We may not have boots on the ground, but it is a proxy war. You know, uh, just as we're fighting Russia, uh, with our proxy Ukraine and uh, uh, Iran is fighting uh, us through our proxy Israel. Uh, we are in a very, very difficult situation. I don't want it to come to the United States. I want us to have a government that protects its citizens. You know how I feel about the border. I'm not going to get into it anymore except to say we've never been more vulnerable. Uh, I talked to Ellie Wiesel many times when I was a DA. His words ring true every time I think of him. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. To do nothing helps the abuser, never the victim. It's time for America to close its border. It's time for America to recognize that Iran's funding must be cut off. 
it's time for the White House to project some strength. I like that Biden said he would support Israel to the end. But what we've got to do is we've got to start worrying now about what's coming next. That's it, everyone. Uh, Make sure you join us right back here next week. Same time, same place for the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Take care of yourselves, everyone. Be safe. Have a great day. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.